Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today we got a Q&A. Real quick reminder, guys, if you have questions, drop them in the form. Uh, we're trying to make all the questions native. Sometimes I pull some from Instagram, but we're also going to be doing YouTube questions. So we want more questions from you guys. Uh, you can head over to YouTube and ask them there, or you can ask them on Instagram, or you can ask them here. But the point is, ask us your questions. This is like literally free coaching. In fact, when I, dude, I remember shit years ago. Um, so, so the form's in the description. I probably should have said that, guys. Click the form ask us anything. But I remember years ago, listening to podcasts that would do Q and A's and I would literally utilize it as a way to almost get like free consultations. Yeah. Because back in the day I, I used to do consultations with people because it was a way that I could basically get information. I was a coach trying to like experiment on myself, but I'd want guidance from more experienced coaches. So I would pay for an hour of time from uh, an advanced coach or bodybuilder to get information from them. Um, similar to what I've done with many people as yeah. well. And uh, and then people started doing podcasts, started doing Q and A's, and I was like, wait, so I can just send a question and you'll answer my personal question, and you, like I don't have to pay you. <laughs> this is sick, yeah. <laughs> right? So uh, for people listening, this is literally like a consult. Like I mean, in, in a way, like obviously you have a consult, you have me on the screen, and we can go back and forth on the topic. But point being, uh, if you have any question, this is like the best place. So shout out to people that take advantage of it, um, and for you guys listening. Drop us a question. Uh, make sure you go subscribe to the YouTube channel as well because, like I said, we're going to do Q&As there. Uh, it's going to be – I mean, shit, we're going to be doing two to three eps, uh, videos per week. I almost said episodes. It's not really an episode. Yeah. Uh, two to three videos per week on there. Um, really, really enjoying that. Good feedback. I mean, we're learning, obviously, a lot of, like, what, you know, gets more attention, what doesn't and yeah. all that. But um, the channel's growing quick. Yeah. Uh, people seem to really like the content. I mean – yeah, dude, I've been getting a lot of my clients have been like in every single week when I have all the updates. There's always a handful of people saying they're loving the content. Good. People are responding to on YouTube. On YouTube, people are DMing me. People are emailing me. So I know you guys are liking it. If you're not subscribed to the channel, um, go do so. YouTube.com/slash Cody McBroom One. We're really putting a lot of effort in there. We're going to continue doing so, and we want your feedback. So go like the videos you like. Go comment. Tell us what you want more of, so on and so forth, because that just allows us to do more and more and more of the shit that you guys actually want to see. Amen. Um, with that being said, let's answer some fucking questions. Yeah, we got a lot of good questions. And this is a great example of the long-form questions of someone asking about a real-life scenario. So taking this, advantage of this it. This one comes from Elizabeth Shrimp. It says, I'm a 41-year-old female, 5'3", and I weigh about 115 pounds and have been lifting heavy for many years. Currently, I am doing a three full-body workouts per week. Okay, so she's doing three full-body workouts per week, 12K steps per day. I'm getting married next June, and I want to grow my back and shoulders so I look great in my dress. How should I change my programming to make noticeable gains in my shoulders and back but still maintain other uh, areas of my body, especially my glutes? I plan on going into a slight surplus over the fall and the winter and cutting prior to the wedding. Dope. I mean, you already kind of hit one nail on the head uh, going into a surplus for a while and then pulling back to cut later for the wedding. Uh, reason being is if you're an advanced lifter, obviously having more calories is going to help with muscle growth. So being patient with that process. Now, she said she was doing three full body sessions per week. Correct. Anytime I have an advanced lifter who wants to put on muscle, excuse me, 
uh, all these rock stars. I had, I had two cases of them show up at the office. You see that? I, I saw it delivered over here oh. and I parked and I was like, what the hell's a box doing over there? Because yeah. on Google, our address is sweet, yep, yeah. you know. Um, came over, opened it up, two cases of Rockstar. Shout out to Cheryl. Yeah. A client of mine sent me some. I was like, fuck yeah. Um, anyway, uh, anytime I have an advanced lifter who wants to put on muscle tissue and they're only training three days a week, be that full body or not. I mean, you could do a push-pull leg split three days a week and you just have a two-week microcycle. So you go week one, push-pull legs one, and then week two is push-pull legs two. So you, the second push session would be on week two, right, versus the first push session on week one. Um, so it's not restricted. Most people do full body when they do three days a week, but it's just not enough volume, plain and simple. Like, because here's the thing is you say, how do I bring up my back and shoulders without letting go of the progress I made in the other body parts? Well, we need to increase volume on your back and shoulders primarily. But if you only have three days a week, it means that we're going to have to hit the back and shoulders each of those days, right? Or at the bare minimum, back on one day, shoulders on one day, both back and shoulders on the other. Because you need at least two times a week frequency to optimize volume. I mean, it's just, you can't say that indefinitely from what research shows, but all research kind of concludes to that theory. Like whether, you know, at the end of the day, you have to increase volume to specialize or grow a body part, and you usually have to increase frequency in order to be able to recover properly from the increased volume, For which sure. means you have to hit them at least twice a week. But if you do that, well, now you barely have any time to hit everything else, right? So, like, if, if I'm doing back one day, shoulders one day, back and shoulders on the third day, yeah, I can still fit in some uh, volume on the other days of other body parts, but to expect balance or growth everywhere just more growth in those areas or even maintenance of quads glutes hamstrings abs chest triceps biceps rhomboid like there's a lot of body parts Mm -hmm. it's not gonna happen yeah you gotta train four or five days a week at least um and if you're going into a surplus i mean shit you could train five or six days a week a good example of this is is myself right now i was training five days a week uh for the photo shoot and there were some weeks where i would pull back and only do four just because of fatigue i was just i could tell like i'd wake up saturday and i'm like am i gonna train today and it would Saturday was always my day that, like, if I was going to skip a day, it could be that day because it was smaller body parts. It was kind of like an extra day. There were some weekends where I was like, I just don't got it in me. So I would skip. Um, Out of the nine weeks, there was probably like three or four of those weeks. Now I'm shifting to a six-day split because I'm eating more food. I can recover better, and I want to push more volume to grow. So because of that, the first step I make in increasing volume is just adding a day of lifting because – I could squeeze it into the other days, but then my lifts are going to be rushed. I'm going to have more volume per session, which is harder to recover from and potentially is a negative signal for, for muscle growth because muscle protein synthesis has diminishing returns. So even in her case, let's say she's like, well, I'll just do, you know, 15 sets of back on Monday instead of trying to spread it out. That way I don't have to do back twice. Just overload on one of those days. Exactly. Well, research shows that after about 10 sets, there's diminishing returns. Mm. So like now you're getting into junk volume. There's actually a negative anabolic signal because you're doing too much. And now we're going to raise cortisol probably too much as well, which is going to harm recovery. So you can't do that. Like you literally have to split up the volume. Um, So I would probably say the first step is is really it's bumping your training up to at least four days a week, if not five. Uh, I wouldn't go to six because you're doing three right now. There's no reason to double it. Go four or five days. um, And then after that, you want to kind of look at your own personal volume. I don't want to say landmarks. Um, volume landmarks are essentially what you're trying to find, but you got to see what you've been doing for your volume. So what's your like history of volume? There we go. Because your volume landmarks are going to be, and this is made famous by Mike Isertel, but we have uh, maintenance volume, minimum effective volume, 
maximum adaptive volume and then maximum recoverable volume. And it's kind of the spectrum of like the bare minimum you need to maintain maintenance volume. The minimum effective is where like you bump it up a little bit. You're going to grow, but it's going to be at a really slow pace where you can barely notice progress. Maximum adaptive volume is a good place to be because that's where most of your gains are made and you can still easily recover from it. Mm-hmm. Maximum recoverable volume is the the upper end of the threshold. That is the most you can do. You're probably going to see the most gains, but it's short-lived because you can only do it for so long before recovery uh, can't keep up. And then you have to, that's where deloads and stuff like that come into play. So what I would do is you want to have every body part, like you, you basically look at your current volume. I would probably argue if you're not growing right now, you're probably at maintenance volume. Yeah. So let's say you count all your volume. You're doing three days a week. You're only doing like seven to eight sets per muscle group per week. Okay. Well, that's your maintenance volume. I would add four or five days a week and bump everything up to the minimum effective volume, right? Now we can get growth head to toe everything starts to grow a little bit Um, and then from there once you get comfortable with the new split four or five days a week hitting a little bit more volume across the board then you're going to take your back and shoulders and you're going to bump those up to mrv maximum recoverable volume gotcha right and so i think you would be safe there and i don't think you would hit burnout as long as you keep the other ones at maintenance or minimum effective the, the hard part is where we go, and I've done this before too, and this is where you really need deloads every few weeks is when you bring everything up to MRV because not everything's at a really high, high amount of volume. Maximum. Exactly. So, and sometimes you still need it. So like, for example, where my volume is, because I actually go as far as to count all this, is, and you can manipulate this. So even if you're in the Taylor Trainer and you know your sets, you could be doing the program and all you have to do is go, okay, well, technically this program has me doing... 15 sets per muscle group per week on average, right? So maybe some are 13, some are 16, whatever. And you know for your quads, you need to hit 20 in order to see growth because you want to specialize there. Cool. Every day we have quads in the app, you just add one or two sets. And by the end of the week, you're going to hit a new volume. Totally. Exactly. You know what I mean? So you don't have to do anything crazy. It's just literally like, oh, it says four sets, do five. That's easy. So for my own personal program, I have everything set at uh, between maintenance and uh, maximum adaptive. So there's some muscle groups that like I'm pushing closer to that maximum adaptive, like my quads, and there's some that I'm keeping at maintenance, things like uh, glutes, chest, traps, things like that. And then I have my lats and my arms at the MRV. Like they're pushing the boundaries of as much as I can possibly do because when I start pushing calories and trying to build muscle, I want to put on size on my lats and my arms. So I'm just bringing those up. I'm probably still going to need deloads because I'm training six days a week and most things are at maximum adaptive. But in your case for four or five, I mean, you could take a deload every six to eight weeks and probably be fine. But that's how I would adjust your program is like you're hitting the the main muscle group, like everything you're hitting twice a week, everything's at between maintenance volume and maximum uh, or minimum effective volume. And then you're pushing your back and your shoulders up to MRV, which is going to be way higher than you're used to. And so I would keep everything else pretty low because you don't want to overdo it. Yeah. And you should be hitting those two, three times a week. Um, with different types of exercises because you want to hit the muscles from different groups, especially the lats. So the lats uh, are what are called a fan-shaped muscle, which means you literally need to hit them from different angles. The shoulders are, it depends on how you're trying to hit them. I mean, most people are looking at the lateral and the rear delt more than the front delt, but I mean, you really can only do lateral raises and overhead presses. I mean, there's really nothing. And even if like you look at, you know, an overhead press, you're still doing shoulder abduction. If you do an upright row, you're doing shoulder abduction. If you're doing lateral raises, you're doing a shoulder abduction. The only time you really do anything different is when you're doing 
some shoulder abduction, but a lot of shoulder retraction when you're doing like rear delt flies and you're pulling your shoulders back or face pulls um, with some external rotation. But um, having a few different variations of those exercises, different grips, different loading, different um, like use bands, cables, uh, dumbbells, different things like that. Um, just different variations. Just different variations. And then with the, the, the lats, though, you want to have some horizontal and some vertical pulling. Um, and find a grip that works for you. You know, there's people that are like, oh, you got to go wide grip. There's people that do close grip. Um, I actually think, like, I've, I've actually been really geeking out on the anatomy of muscle growth lately. And most, you're most likely going to hit your lats specifically uh, if you have a neutral um moderate grip so not super wide because then you get in a weird position and it limits your range of motion and not super close because then you it limits your range of motion but if you go like you know that one grip we have it's a neutral grip but it's like kind of wide yeah that's like perfect because when i pull my it to my chest in a horizontal row my elbows are a little bit flared out but not too crazy yeah. right and my neutral i have a neutral grip and on the pull down same exact thing um, but you can do a horizontal row you can do a vertical pull down which you should still lean back a little bit you can also do straight arm pull downs you can do uh overhead pullovers i mean there's just so many variations so um because it's a larger fan shaped muscle you have to hit it from different angles uh and then the last thing i'll say is because you said back i can't assume you're talking about lats necessarily um even more so you have to increase the days a week because if you're like, I want my entire back to grow. Well, now we have to increase towards MRV with your lats, your traps, your rhomboids, which is in between the scapula. And those are all different angles, right? So traps are going to be mainly like elevation of your scapula. So like shrugs or face pulls, your rhomboids are going to be horizontal pulls, but with a mid elbow range, really pinching your shoulder blades together. Lats are going to be low elbows to target the lower part of the lat. The anatomy of the back is just crazy. So expecting to be able to do all this in three days a week is just impossible you know so totally that's not I mean, days that fit it in yeah unless you're you're like i've never lifted before what should i do of course but there you don't have to worry about that but and lifting yeah all right well uh let's move on to the second question coming again from elizabeth it says i do squats and deadlifts as part of my programming but as soon as i get close to failure or go for a pr i end up hurting my back I've seen chiropractors, PT, coaches, and nothing seems to help. I know progressive overload is important for muscle growth, but I can't seem to make meaningful progress on these lifts. Should I just keep these lifts in but at lesser loads because they are good for the body or just try and overload my other lifts? Or do you have a different solution? So this is where, like, you have to determine the specificity of your goal I think a lot of people will try to treat you because you come to them. And you're like, I can't deadlift. I want to, I can't deadlift without pain. I want to deadlift. So when you tell somebody that their first assumption is this person's in pain and wants to get stronger at the deadlift. This is the specific reason this patient is coming to me. You answering this question to me, especially following up the last one is this person wants to change their physique, but they hurt themselves squatting and deadlifting. So my answer is don't fucking squat or deadlift <laughs> because you don't need those exercises. Go do a leg press instead of a squat. Go do, I mean, like, you, you see the weird variation of squats I've been doing. Yeah. Safety bar while holding the rack with my heels elevated. Like, I didn't see what you, you and CJ were doing yesterday. Same same exact thing as okay. I did in the reel we shot where I'm holding the rack and the safety bar is on oh, me. I'm just yeah. kind of balancing it on my shoulders. Yeah. Um, so what I'm doing there is I'm taking away the need for me to actually rotate my shoulders and brace a bar. I'm, I'm using the support of the, the machine so I don't have to worry about balance. Yeah. I'm elevating my heels. So I'm like manipulating the movement to make it in a way less functional, right? And less, uh, my core doesn't have to work as hard. Uh, I might not build as much raw strength, but 
I'm overloading my quads extremely well, and that's what my goal is with mm. that movement. So now we have to go, okay, are we squatting for strength or are we squatting for hypertrophy? And I'm squatting for hypertrophy, so I'm going to manipulate the movement to just isolate my quads. So in that regard, what is progressive overload? Well, progressive overload could be slower negatives. It could be changing the angle of my heels to overload the quad more. It could be a deeper range of motion. It could be adding load. It could be adding reps. There's a, a, a numerous amount of things. It could be adding sets. It could be adding anything because all I'm trying to do is progressively create more of a stimulus on my quads. And most people think of progressive overload, you have to add weight to get stronger. But progressive overload for hypertrophy is not in a box, Right. Progressive overload for strength is because getting stronger means you lift heavier. Totally. Literally. So if you want to progressively overload to get stronger, you have to add weight. That is progressive overload. But for building muscle or changing your physique, it's really just challenging the muscle to a greater extent. Right. And so what I tend to like think about and what I've been doing lately is like, okay, I really could care less. Like that squat variation right there. If somebody comes in, I'm doing 225 or I'm doing 315. I don't care. Yep. I really have no ego attached to how much weight is on that bar. Um, and we worked up to 245. So it was a heavy squat for like six to eight reps. My quads fucking hurt today, dude. I got home and she, Blakely wanted me to drag her in this thing in a laundry basket like a sled. Yep. Dude, I was like quivering my legs. <laughs> I'm just like, dude, this is brutal. Um, but point being, like – I look at that and I go, okay, how can I progress this? So week one, we just, it's getting used to the movement and everything. We try to overload a bit. Like week two was this week of doing that movement. It's the second time I've ever done it. Um, so I added weight. Second week you've ever done it. Yeah. yeah. Um, second time I've ever done that variation of it though. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've never, I, that when we shot the reel was the first time and then I skipped my leg day because it was a photo shoot week and, and then it was this week. Gotcha. So it is week two, but it's also, I've just never done that. I made it up. Yep. Um, but week two, this week I added load, right? Next week I'm probably not going to add load because now I go, okay, I could keep the load and probably still get the same amount of stimulus. So I might just keep it put. But if I keep adding load, injury risk is likely to go up, right? Yep. Because like her, whenever I hurt my back, it's usually with heavy squats. Yep. And I would even add that I've never actually hurt my lower back when just doing heavy squats or just doing heavy deadlifts. It's whenever I do both in the same week. And so there's a lot of times mm -hmm. actually powerlifters will even switch cycles where they go, I'm just squatting heavy this week and I will squat heavy, uh, deadlift heavy next week. And so their micro cycles are two weeks and that's something smart to do. Um, but point being is, is I don't even deadlift off the floor anymore because my goal is hypertrophy. And I know that I will get more muscle growth from a slow RDL with a lighter load and my back safer than I would from deadlifting super heavy for low reps. I mean, that's just a fact. How can I isolate the muscle more? Uh, so you have to ask yourself what your goal is because this movement, I've added load. Now I'm like, okay, if I keep adding load, injury risk goes up. The stimulus does go up for sure, but it's that, that risk to reward. It's like I could get more stimulus, but I'm also increasing the risk of injury. Yep. So how can I continually progress the stimulus without increasing the risk? Yep. We're going to add bands next week. So I'm going to put bands on the bar. And so when I get to the top of the movement, it's harder because the bottom of a squat, and this is where we look at strength curves and it's debatable because there's no research to show that adding bands leads to more muscle growth. However, there is research to show that it's neutral, which means that it's not better. It's not worse. However, they weren't looking at injury risk. So is it better from a standpoint of I can get the same gains, but less likely get hurt? Maybe. Totally. And so I'm going to add bands because at the bottom of the lift, it's not going to change. The band's really loose at the bottom of the lift. That's the hardest part of the squat anyway. The top of the squat is the easiest part of the squat. That's when I'm standing, standing up. But now at the top of the squat, the bands are going to be tight as fuck. Yeah. So every time I get to the top, it's just as hard. 
So the strength curve never changes. Mm -hmm. So what I did there is I progressed by adding a longer resistance curve and time under tension, which is going to lead to more accumulated tension on the muscle, which is my goal. That's not going to make me stronger at squatting. It's going to make my quads bigger. So if you want to keep squatting or deadlifting, you have to unmarry yourself to progressive overload being just adding load. Um, And you have to uh, unmarry yourself to the idea of you have to do a barbell squat or a barbell deadlift for muscle growth because you don't. Yeah. You just don't. Um, You can manipulate those things to make them more advantageous for muscle growth and for your mechanics, which is what I did there with that movement. Um, So my recommendation in general to you is to stop doing both of them if they're hurting you completely and or manipulate them to be something that doesn't hurt you and isn't reliant on just adding load to progress. Um, Can't you argue that progression for hypertrophy is also uh, progressing your lift amount? Like for a long, because if you're building your quads, that's going to equal to hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Because technically a bigger muscle could be a stronger muscle, but at the same time, so they've done research on this too. And so a bigger muscle isn't a stronger muscle. A bigger muscle has the potential to be a stronger muscle. Okay. So let me explain that. If we have a bigger muscle, we have more muscle tissue and therefore muscle fibers, and therefore we can recruit more motor units, right? And if we can recruit more motor units, we can express more strength. Yep. However, motor units are recruited neurologically. So your brain signals the motor units to tell the muscles to fire. Gotcha. So if I make this big muscle but my neurological strength isn't there to send the motor units. It doesn't do shit. You know what I mean? Um, So you would still have to, and that's why like people who want to be as strong as possible, it is very beneficial to go get stronger or I'm sorry, to go build muscle and then come back to strength. So periodizing in some hypertrophy work, because if you're hitting strength plateaus, but you have room to grow on hypertrophy wise, muscle size, you could leave strength training for a little bit, even if it's a block, four weeks. Build some muscle, come back to strength training, and you can express more strength. However, there's really not any research to show us that if you're really focused on building size, that you need to step away to get stronger. You just don't. Um, Can it help you? Probably. I would guess that it can. But right now, the periodization literature is pretty inconclusive uh, for hypertrophy. Um, So with that being said, I think, and this is where, like, for a long time, they would just always say, well, as a natural lifter, the only way to really know if you're building muscle is to track progressive overload Mm -hmm. because your muscles, you can measure them, but it it goes so slow. So, but now there's so many people who are practicing a different route of training for hypertrophy, and it's really, you know, there's, like, the guys from RTS, N1, um, a lot of just good good trainers and stuff like that, hypertrophy coach, Austin Curran, Alex Bush, like all these guys, some of which I know really well, some of them I just follow. They're much more focused on intent than anything else, which means they might do less volume than somebody else or they might do less load than somebody else, but they're able to create so much internal tension in the muscle that they grow just as much. Yeah. So it just goes to show you that like really if we're trying to change our physique, the most important thing is is – it's not mind-muscle connection because that's like a very unscientific way to say it. But in a way, it, it is. It's it's learning how to fire the muscle and create as much tension as possible inside the muscle. Correct. Which isn't only about load. Load significantly helps it. So you can track progressive overload. But at a certain point, you have to learn other ways to do so, right? And I think that's where I'm at. My journey is like not only do I not care so much about getting stronger and stronger and stronger because I've hit like the PRs I've wanted to hit. But I also know that I'm, I'm at the point where if I push it too much, I might get hurt because just not I'm worth it. Yeah. And, and also, too, like in this person's case as well, 
if your goal is aesthetics and body composition, you have to do enough volume to change your physique. So if you're doing enough volume change of physique and you're trying to hit PRs, that's where you get injured. If you're like, I don't care about changing my physique, well, you can lower your volume and just focus on uh, increasing loads. You'll get stronger. You'll probably won't get injured because you're not having too much overuse injuries uh, presenting themselves, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, obviously it's a can of worms. There's a lot of different aspects about it, but I think uh, I would just not be married to those lifts. I don't see any reason why you need to be married to the squat or the deadlift, especially if your goal is hypertrophy. I think that, um, I think the squat is an amazing exercise for hypertrophy. I don't personally think the deadlift is a good exercise for hypertrophy. I think a stiff leg RDL is way better and you can control the movement with lighter weight and be less likely to get injured. Whereas a squat, squat's just a great lift for quads, especially if you manipulate it to isolate the quads. And I would probably still stay in the higher rep range, you know, focus on like the eight to 12 rep range versus the three to five. You won't get injured yeah. as much. But um, and here's the last thing I'll say to you, Elizabeth, is like, if your goal is building your back and shoulders, the deadlift and squat aren't going to do that for you. So if you're getting hurt doing those and it's fucking up your specific goal, you just got to remove them for a little bit. I, I've, I've gone through periods where I've hurt my shoulder really bad and I didn't bench press with a barbell for six months and it was the best thing I ever did. I didn't lose any strength. I didn't lose any size. I just had to use dumbbells, landmine presses, single arm stuff, push-ups, yep. anything I could to still work the pushing movement pattern that didn't irritate my shoulder. And then I came back to the bench press slowly but surely and it made the world of a difference totally so that's good all right cool let's move on to the next one we got one coming from carrie it says i have i have close to 60 pounds to lose after losing almost 100 pounds and then gaining back 30 of it i have struggled for a long time and i feel like i desperately need to work with you unfortunately money is tight and i can't seem to make it happen if i were to save up how long would i would you say I needed to work with you in order to get uh, get back right on track? Would three months be worth it, or would it need to be longer? The weight gain and struggle is be the beginning of the effect that to affect my life. Please help. Read the first part again so I can hear what she's at. She, uh, close to 60 pounds to lose. Um, she lost 100 and gained 30 back. I've struggled for a long time and feel like I desperately need to work with you. Okay. Um, well, first of all, starting with this. Yeah. Asking long form questions. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, first and foremost, there's, I don't think anything, cause the, the way I look at it is like this, like there's, and, and I will answer your specific question, but with anything in life, I think people tend to think of, it's kind of like the all or nothing mentality in a sense, but how long she's, she, you know, I don't have enough, is three months enough? Like I know that's, cause she knows by the way she worded that she knows that's not long enough to lose 60 pounds. Yeah. It's just not like you need more time because uh, three months, that's 12 weeks. You know, if you have 60 pounds to lose, I would say pushing it would say two pounds per week. And that's only 24 pounds in three months, you know? Um, now if you have that much to lose, there might be weeks where you lose three or four, but there might be weeks where you lose zero, mm -hmm. one, two, you know what I mean? So on average two pounds a week is a healthy rate for somebody your size, I would say. Um, but you have to beg the question is like, if I don't do this now, because I want to save enough to be able to do it for six to nine months, because that's a long enough to actually lose the full six, 60 pounds. How long is it going to take you before you get to that point? And are you still only going to have 60 pounds to lose by then? Cause if you need a coach, you need a coach, mm -hmm. right? If you wait six months to save money and you gain another 20 pounds in six months, because you're just not in a good place and you need the sport. Well, now you have 80 pounds to lose and now it's going to take longer. Right. So to me, I'm always like, take action on whatever you can do right now. Um, and if 
if it's like I could start for three months in a in a month, or I could save for another four months and do six months, I'd be do it for three. Yeah. Even if you were like, I'm gonna do it for three, get as much as I can out of it, learn as much as I can out of it, and then I'm gonna pause and I will I will return in three more months while I save money. And your goal is to maintain for three months, and then you come back and you cut for three months. Maintain, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many routes to go, but waiting is never the answer. Yeah. I think just making that initial investment for, to use the three months to learn as much you can to see how far you can take it to, with with that knowledge. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And that's the great. thing is like, coaching doesn't just stop when you're done coaching with a coach on my team. Like it's never Amen. been that way because we teach you enough. We teach you more than any other coaching company does. I can almost fucking guarantee it because I have talked to so many people who run coaching companies you and or work for, for uh, coaching companies and. Nobody does it like us. Yeah. They just don't do it like us. And that's why so many, that's why I love when people come to us after they've already worked with a company on coaching, especially like a big company that is like really sought out and every, there's ads everywhere and shit like that because they come to us and they're like, holy shit, the personal attention and guidance and education is is through the roof. It's, it's phenomenal. And you won't get that anywhere else. Um, but the thing is, is after that, like, let's say you lost 24 pounds. You're like, okay, I still have 36 pounds to lose, but I can't afford to coach anymore. Okay, that's fine. But you've instilled the habits. You've learned what it takes. You have the, the roadmap. You just got to keep going. That's right. You know, email your coach every once in a while and just let them know you're still doing it. You know, stay accountable by posting on Instagram, posting the Facebook group that we have that you can stay in for the rest of your life. Because yeah. once you're a client, you're always a client in there. Like there's things that you can do to keep yourself accountable, habit trackers, whatever it may be. Um, so take action. Don't 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 sleep on it. Don't wait on it because that's just never the answer. Because the the longer you wait, the, the more likely you are to just make it worse or set yourself back further. Yep. Um, but uh, how long would it take to lose your specific amount of weight? And like, what would it take and everything like that? I mean, at the end of the day, you got to be in a calorie deficit that is enough of a deficit to actually see weight loss, but it's also not too aggressive because you got to adhere to it. And this is where you know there's there's a lot of mixed feelings on this topic because. A lot of people would say the the heavier you are, the more aggressive you can be with a calorie deficit, which I would agree with because you're less likely to lose muscle tissue. And that means the leaner you are, the uh, the more conservative you have to be because you're more likely to lose muscle tissue. But at the same time, it almost seems like for people, it's it's not that way because if somebody's extremely overweight and aggressive fat loss approach, they're still eating a lot of calories because they were overeating and they're overweight, so their calorie intake's gonna be higher. Where somebody's lean and they're like, oh, we have to take a conservative approach, and you end up eating like peanuts by the end of it because you're already lean and your calories are really low. It's still kind of an aggressive diet, you know what I mean? So it's hard to say for sure, but um, I really like. There's some research that shows essentially making a more aggressive approach at the beginning. So making a bigger deficit, which is going to be good because the bigger deficit is going to ensure that you get through that maintenance range uh, and you actually start losing fat instead of just toying with the idea or taking a small deficit. You make a big enough deficit to start seeing results right away. Um, be aggressive for the first couple months and then slowly taper it off and go slow after that totally. because the initial fat loss is going to instill intrinsic motivation to keep you going and it's going to set the tone and the path for you to continue losing weight, but you don't want to keep being aggressive for months and months and months on end because that's how biofeedback goes through the floor, hormones get fucked up, too much metabolic adaptation happens and you won't be able to continue to lose weight. Yep. Um, so aiming for 1% to 2% of, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, 0.5 to 1% of total body weight loss per week, usually just stepping into a deficit anywhere between 20 to 30% of calories cutting out at the beginning and then 5 to 10% adjustments along the way. 
increasing your neat as you jump into the deficit, strength training three, four days a week, like the basic stuff. Like, yep. you know, it's not rocket science, but that's, those aren't the things that you need coaching for. You know, I have enough free content out that you can figure all that out. You know, um, it's, you don't have to dig very deep. <laughs> no, it's, it's assessing the individual to know exactly how to approach those things is best and keeping them accountable and having the support them personally. Yeah. It's just, it, there's so much more that goes into it once you actually get into it. Totally. Um, so yeah, don't wait, jump on it. There's a link in the description if you need it. I think that's great. All right, cool. We uh, will move on to the next question is from Ish Morris. It says, hello, I am new to the podcast so i went back and started listening to some of your older episodes in regards to your late night hunger you mentioned freezing casein protein as a night snack episode 214 in my current meal plan i have yogurt and 15 grams of peanut butter i've started saving one of my protein scoops mixing it with the yogurt and peanut butter and making popsicles with it as my late night snack damn I have also started saving my veggies till the end of the night and snacking on them. Is there any harm in doing it this way? I've heard people talk about not eating after a certain time, intermittent fasting, etc. Thank you for your input. Thank you for listening to the podcast and going way back. Um, Man, I've been eating that fucking dessert for years now. Good God. (laughs) I've been eating that since we lived together, bro. Yeah. I mean, probably before that. 2016? Yep, 15. Literally for seven years, I've been eating this at night, guys. Yeah, talk about consistency. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That start, makes me. Is, that, what, is like, that where you started it at our house, or did, was it no. even before that? Before that, yeah, we in the apartment with yeah. Kirsten. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes me like not want to eat it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I need to change it up. I'm just not sick of it, dude. dude I weird. It. Um. So, uh, I mean, that answers your question. I eat. I eat it at night every night for the last fucking decade, yeah. and. I feel pretty good, so I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> That's absurd, dude. Um, <laughs> so uh, just to, like, squash the myths a little bit, though, there's no, like, time cutoff where it's like, and it is 7, 15 p.m., you can't eat anymore, you're going to get fat. Like, there's no metabolic shutdown there or anything like that. Um, intermittent fasting uh, is ironic in, in a couple ways. I mean, number one, it's funny because all the research actually done – on intermittent fasting when calories are equated shows zero benefits to it, really. Um, I mean, even from like autophagy, there's no, like, so autophagy was the thing that they're hanging their hat on, um, which is essentially like your cells regenerating themselves, yep. which is really good for you. But a calorie deficit does that. So that means like, hey, every once in a while, like once a year maybe or whatever, put yourself in a calorie deficit or have, like if you're an everyday person and you just want health, maybe a couple days a week you eat less than you need to maintain, that's going to create autophagy that's good for you. It is healthy to be in a calorie deficit at times. Um, you don't need to intermittent fast to do that. Um, and, uh, there's the insulin thing where they say, you know, it lowers insulin levels, blood sugar and stuff. But I mean, there's countless research studies. So insulin is not the cause for obesity. Um, insulin levels aren't a general predicator of health. Um, Mm -hmm. certain people, sure. If you have diabetes, type one, type two, hypertension, things like that, you got to watch some of these things. But for general uh, reasons, like, no, in fact, we can use insulin to our advantage to help us build muscle and lose fat. Um, it's not, uh, you know, intermittent fasting creates a sense of ketosis, so you burn more fat as fuel. It's not that because if calories equated, it doesn't matter. You're still going to burn the same amount. Um, you actually will are more likely to lose lean mass and lean muscle tissue if you intermittent fast, so that's not a good thing. Um, and the ironic thing about it, so it is so generally if calories are equated intermittent fasting doesn't matter period 
end of story. Uh, but the ironic thing is they've done studies that actually do show improvements in maintenance intake and circadian rhythm. So your maintenance intake being you can maintain your weight on a higher level of calories and your circadian rhythm, which is going to influence sleep and hormones, actually may improve. But it's when you completely flip it around. So people would always intermittent fast by skipping breakfast, you know, mm-hmm. and that and the chrononutrition research actually went, no, okay, like wake up and eat ASAP and then stop eating at around like 6, 7 p.m. You know, so you still have this 12 to 16 hour fasting window, but it's from the evening to the morning, not from midday till whatever. Right. Yeah. So um, the reasons for that. I'm not 100% sure. Um, the reason for the maintenance intake being higher is obvious. If you eat most of your calories in the morning, you start your day with more food. Food is energy. Energy creates a higher TDEE, total daily energy expenditure, which means you're going to move more throughout the day. If you move more throughout the day, you burn more calories. Yep. You burn more calories, you have a higher maintenance intake. Plain and simple. Um, which means you don't even have to technically. It, it's not even about the fasting. It's about tapering your diet. Which is why, like, for, my, for example, I did. this isn't why I do it because I just feel better when I have more calories in the morning, like throughout the day, I have more energy. It, uh, but I have more of my calories in my first few meals, and then I have less calories in my last two meals, because I have five meals a day. And so it just kind of tapers throughout the day, which makes sense too, because why eat a whole bunch of calories and then just go lay in bed? Yep. You're not using them. Um, now, is there any issue with eating later at night? Not really. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we have a 24-hour clock, and really when we truly look at like calorie expenditure for fat loss, it's, it's more like a seven-day week. So even if... You, your hours are all crazy or whatever, and you ate at midnight, but you factored it into your weekly total, you'd be fine. Like, at the end of the day, it's just calories in versus calories out. It doesn't matter what time you eat. Um, I It's more of like an individual biofeedback thing that you need to look at because there are some people who just don't sleep well when they eat a lot of calories before. So um, depending on what you eat, if it raises your blood sugar, um, if it uh, if it's like very high protein, which is in this case, it could be um, like higher than normal, things like that. It could increase your heart rate, increase your core temperature because it takes a lot to burn. So like in the studies of protein overfeeding where they make people eat two to three times their body weight, which is absurd. um, The only negative thing they saw in there was just anecdotal feedback from the participants saying that they just sweated their asses off in their sleep. Well, why is that? Well, thermogenesis cranked up. You're just burning fucking protein and sweating, you know? Um, which makes it uncomfortable to sleep, which means your sleep is disturbed, which means that your recovery is harmed. Like, so there could be an issue, but if you're not having those issues, not at all, I don't have those issues. Um, I wouldn't have a bunch of veggies right before because my gut would just be full. I'd feel like, I don't know. I think a lot of people, veggies are a funny one where I've had a lot of people come to me that work with me that have gut issues and they're, they're confused why because they eat so healthy, quote unquote. And I'm like, hey, I want you to cut your vegetable intake down by half. And they're like, but vegetables are good for your gut. Probiotics, prebiotics, fiber. And I'm like, yeah, but you're eating so much that you're doing too much, like you're giving your gut too much to work with, right? Like now your your gut's nonstop working. And that's probably, if there's any benefit that I would say intermittent fasting has, it's that. It's giving your digestive tract a break. But you could also accomplish that by uh, doing a protein sparing fast. So like I've done this to where you just have like five protein shakes for your day. Like it's just one or two scoops of protein for your meal with some fish oil. So you have a little bit of good fat, maybe even a green drink, mm-hmm. but those things are really easy on your digestive tract. People will do like uh, broth and collagen fasts and stuff like that. So you're still getting nutrients throughout the day, but you're alleviating your gut from having to actually digest things. Um, that can be helpful. But again, I don't think he has this issue because he would say like, my gut's killing me at night. Is it because I'm eating late at night? Totally. But um, that that's- might be. That's the only time I ever say like, yeah, let's not eat yeah. so much 
close to bed if it's disturbing your sleep. And for people who have gut issues that are just eating way too much vegetables, you're, you're probably just having too much for your body to try to actually break down and work. For sure. um, and it's, it's funny to me because I always say like there's a quota, right, where you need a certain amount of fruits and vegetables to get a certain amount of micronutrients, right? But if you're taking multivitamin, taking greens, and you're getting, let's say, two to three servings of veggies and one to three servings of fruit per day, getting four to five servings of veggies doesn't make you a healthier person. Mm. It just means you have more vegetables in your gut for your gut to digest. Like, you know, you can't like, you get a thousand milligrams of vitamin C, getting 1500 doesn't make you like super immune to anything, right? It just literally, actually, if you just eat almost any supplement, uh, vitamin, the more you eat, the more you just are going to blow it out. Like literally, like you take too much vitamin C, you will get the shits. It's, take too much magnesium, you'll get the shits. Like it's just zinc, you get the shits. Like wow. it's just thing. Protein, you piss it out as nitrate. Yeah. So a lot of stuff gets excreted. Creatine. Creatine. Um, you, I don't, you always say you pee, pee out creatine. Well, pr- creatine is going to be, f- uh, a lot of things get filtered through the kidneys and that's why. Yeah. But. Uh, Different subject. Yeah. And I and I, the only reason I say I don't know too is because I don't know many people who'd get too much creatine. Yeah. You know what I mean? You'd have to fucking take like <laughs> so many scoops of creatine. It'd be ridiculous. Um, but like vitamin C, people are like, oh, I'm sick. And they'll pop vitamin C throughout the day, have an emergency, drink an orange juice. And they do all those things, you know? And it's like, you're just having way too much. Yeah. It doesn't make you healthier. Yeah. Your body's just like, okay, we got enough. Let me get rid of this. Um, so. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Cool. All right. We got one more here is from Naomi Talbot. It says... What is the best training split for a female bikini athlete who wants to train six days a week? I still consider myself a newbie. Um, I wouldn't do six days a week, honestly. Um, so I will answer your specific question, and then I'm going to answer a question. Like, I'm going to tell you what I think you should do because you're a newbie. Um, and this isn't a shameless plug. I mean, it is technically. But I think you should download the Taylor Trainer app. Literally twenty nine dollars a month, less than a dollar a day. It's cheap as fuck for great programming, and we have a program in there called Female Physique, and it's literally designed based on how I train girls to get on stage. And it's five days a week, and in the split is a legs, so it's a lower upper legs push pull, and on the pull day, uh, you do have a little bit of like glutes. So it's like a like for example like a a sumo rack pull or something along those lines, but. That way we're hitting the glutes uh, in the like a little bit of hamstrings, a little bit of lower back three times a week, which is important for uh, a bikini athlete. And then everything else is two times a week. But I don't think you need six days a week as a bikini athlete um, for a few reasons. Number one, it's more important to get lean when you get closer to becoming a bikini athlete than it is to build muscle. So you're going to build plenty of muscle five days a week. Uh, the amount of muscle you need as a bikini athlete five days a week is, is enough. On top of that... Um, you're new. So I don't think you need six days a week. Mm. You know, if you're a newbie, like you want to do the minimal effective dose, why jump right to the upper echelon and push the boundaries of recovery when you can squeeze out more gains and not fuck with recovery, right? So you don't have to constantly pull back. You can just keep pressing forward until you get to an advanced stage where you have to do that. Um, I don't think there's any point of pushing the the boundaries of, a, of like MRV and high volume, high intensity stuff where you have to almost super compensate, like push beyond what you can truly recover from and then deload to super compensate, like get the most out of the littlest you can possibly do. Um, but as a bikini athlete, I do think like five days a week is good. The female physique is a great program for anybody, uh, beginner to advanced that wants that simply because 
um, the movements in there aren't overly complicated. So unless you're like so new to lifting that you don't know how to train properly, like you don't know how to do a squat, you don't know how to do a hip thrust, then of course, like go hire a trainer and learn. Um, the app's not for that. Typically there are beginner programs, but I always tell people you should spend time in a gym with a trainer if you literally don't know how to exercise as a skill. Um, but once you go from beginner to advanced, the only difference in those is your ability to fire muscles. So that's going to be a skill too, but the longer you train, the harder you can fire fire muscles. And so two people can do three sets of 10 and one person who's more advanced gets way more out of it compared to a beginner because they can get more out of the every rep. Number two, they're stronger. So they can lift heavier, which leads to more volume. And number three, you can do what we said earlier, add a set. Now you have more volume. You get more out of it. Um, so it's good for anybody, beginner to advance. But that's what I would recommend. Five days a week. That's my favorite split for bikini athletes too. Legs. So it's it kind of stemmed from me. I would train a lot of people on a classic split of upper, lower, push-pull legs. But then I flipped it for women who wanted to hit their glutes, low back, hamstrings three times a week by going le- lower, upper, legs, push-pull instead of upper, lower, push-pull legs. Um, and so that's a great split. You could also do a push-pull legs, obviously. Um I've I've t- I've also done uh, lower upper lower upper lower so three lowers two uppers, um, it works, and it's good. But in it when you get into the deficit part of like a prep first stage, it's just a lot. Like three full leg days is brutal. Whereas with the female physique, that third day you hit your glutes, but it's still a back day. So you just kind of touch your glutes at the beginning train your back and then you touch glutes at the end of the session with like some band work like it's nothing overwhelming to the nervous system um but that would be my recommendation i think i would do that split i wouldn't train six days a week um but if i think the best six day split is typically like a push pull legs or you can do a modified version of it so what i'm doing right now is i'm so for people listening we are i'm still working with developers but um, crossing my fingers, hoping for a black Friday launch to the public people who are already in the app, you would get access to that before then to test the app. We're going to choose some people before then that are private clients to test the app, but we're relaunch revamping everything, working with developers to like, completely create, uh, a totally individualized experience that nobody has an app with. Like, I'm really, really, really excited about this. Uh, my wallet's not, but everything else is like, it's, it's worth it. Obviously I'm investing a lot into it, but it's so fucking cool. Um, but I'm like, tweaking based on all the feedback I've gotten from the app I'm tweaking a lot of things in the programming and, and I'm making new programs and I'm testing them myself obviously um, so that's where pure bodybuilding which is in the app it's a five day week plan I use that for the photo shoot now I'm doing a six day version of it and it's kind of like a push pull leg but this is a good example of how I want to train six days a week but I can manipulate it so instead of me going push pull legs I'm going legs and abs chest and back shoulders and arms mm. so it's still a three day week I'm still hitting every muscle group twice, but instead of a push day where it's all chest, shoulders, triceps, I'm doing push and pull. And the reason I like that is because I always had achy shoulders after doing weeks and weeks and weeks of a uh, push pull legs because two days a week I'm doing so much pressing and yeah. not any pulling. And then I ended up having to do a bunch of face pulls and reverse flies before starting the push day. Now I'm like, well, now I'm doing pulls on my push day. So instead of that, we have legs and abs, then we have chest and back. So it's a bunch of push and pull. And then shoulders and arms is like a lower intensity isolation day. Yeah. So now I can hit it really hard for legs, chest and back, and then take an, a lighter day just to get some extra volume and then come back to the heavier days. Um, and I'm excited to see how it works. Obviously, I just started this. So I can't speak on it too much, but yeah. I think it's going to flow really well. Um, That's and awesome. We'll, we'll make a, a female version of both of those. So in the, the new app, the way the categories will be is basically like, uh, pure bodybuilding, you know, four, five, six day, male or female, pure strength, 
three, four, five day, male or female. And then there's going to be another category uh, for conditioning, health, functional, stuff like that. Uh, but way more cut and dry of like how to choose your programming just makes it way easier to understand and see um, and organize because the way we have like it tabbed out and stuff like. Totally. Yeah, it's sick. I have a meeting on Friday to go over the new updates. So nope. I'm pumped. Cool. Uh, that that was it. All right, guys. Uh, Remember leave to us click a question. The link. Yes, leave us a question. The link is in the description. Um, if you are like the individual who wanted some serious help, as always, you know what we do. We coach. It's tailored. It's the best coaching in the world. Uh, I'm not exaggerating, actually. Uh, so you can click the link for that and apply. Get on a call for free. No strings attached. And we can talk about uh, if we're a good fit for you and if you are a good fit for us. Of course, the Taylor Trainer app, taylortrainerapp.com. And then our lovely sponsor, firstform.com slash method. As always, guys, we appreciate you, and we will catch you next time.